in, day out parenting, right, that you might think of, and hopefully more in terms of friendship. Am I right? Parents of older kids. And I believe that biblically, in the same way that that's true in the natural, the father heart of our God, of our Abba, of our daddy, he longs for that for you and I as well. But here's the thing. I don't think necessarily it's the same amount of time in the natural as it is in the spiritual. In fact, I believe that in these last days that we're gradually moving towards or that we're living in, whatever, is that that time will become much, much shorter. In fact, my desire is that for this crowd sitting over here with the teenagers, that their time span of having revelation and moving to a a friend relationship with God might be a lot shorter than maybe some of us long-term timers, or I mean, I'm not that long time in the kingdom, maybe 25 years. Some people in here have probably been 50, 60 years Perhaps even in your time span with God, as maybe you've moved into this more of a friendship aspect, I believe your, parent, your spiritual parenting can help move these guys into it in a quicker uh, manner. And what I want to go after today is why. Why would that be important? I was sitting before the Father one day, and I texted Byron, and I was like, I have a word from, for this church, for the, particularly this one in Mooresville. Can I come back? And he said, of course, I'll be um, in Argentina. How about July 17th? Perfect. And so I just want to give you these two sentences, maybe it's three, that I just wrote down word for word. And I hope that you can hear the heart of the Father because I just it burns in my spirit right now that this is wh- who you guys are and where you are. And here's what he said. He said, your, River Life Mooresville, your inheritance is my glory. I will pour out water in the desert and pave roads in the wilderness. Your season of despair carries an authority to release my kingdom on the earth. There's an authority that you carry, we carry as River Life corporately, even as we have gone to Chapel Hill, it's not about us. It's about the Father wanting to release His kingdom through His authority. We're His vessels. And because of our corporate suffering much, our corporate suffering much, even things that we would never volunteer for, we would never sign up for, but in because of that, God has shaped in you and shaped in us a glory That the world really, really takes note of and needs in great measure. It's an authority. You may not feel it this morning. And I know that even in this church, there's, when I'm speaking, I want to speak both of past suffering and even of present. You know, we contend with the great matriarch of the family, Bunny Linker, right? We pray for Bunny and she's back there wanting to be here every Sunday and lying on the couch, you know, we contend for Julia, for our precious daughter of the, of the family, right? We, we stand with the Magusus for, for complete and total healing of Mary. And, and every other need, an illness or financial disaster or whatever it is, you know, this life bears those things, doesn't it? 
But I want to remind you of what the Word of God says here about those things because there's a perspective from the New Testament church that is very much needed, and I believe you, you, you possess this. This is really a reminder. First of all, 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light affliction. Everybody say light affliction. Which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way of I mean, do you really get the implications of that? A far more. I mean, the language here, I don't know if we can even capture it in English maybe. But I just see a a burning fire in Paul's heart as he's writing this. Think about this man who had inflicted harm as a murderous, you know, pharisaical dude before Christ. And then himself suffered so much. He said, I see something beyond just my lifespan. I see 150 years past the people sitting in this room this morning. I see 190 years of of saints in Chapel Hill releasing the kingdom and the kingdom and the kingdom until the king of kings returns. I see a, a perspective far beyond my lifespan or yours. But we've been counted worthy, church. We've been counted worthy in, in our difficulties. Here's another one. I love this. Forgive me for the, for the length of it, but as I tried to pick out a one or two of the verses, it's like, oh, well, the one before that's good. You know, I gotta, you know how that is. So let me, you're familiar with it. It's from Romans 8. Paul again writes, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, indeed, we suffer with Him, that we may also be glory, glorified together. And here it is. For I consider, this is that perspective I'm referring to, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy They're not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. That's really key. Remember, the Son of God makes intercession for us. It doesn't that just blow your mind? He makes intercession for us. It's incredible. This is a glimpse of the authority then that has been given to you. I lost my place. <laughs> Help me out here. Okay, at the end. next slide. <laughs> Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake... 
This is how we feel. We are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of Abba God of Daddy, of Papa, of our Father, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many know that we have a good, good Father? We have a good, good Dad. As we were worshiping this morning, I just felt like we kept singing that phrase over and over again. It's like this would go on for all eternity. In our physical flesh and our energy levels, we could not possibly do it for all eternity. But somehow you can hear this resounding echo. You know what an echo is? It's from heaven to earth. From earth to heaven. From heaven back to earth. That's what true worship is that Jesus talked about in John 4. It's heaven to earth. Earth to heaven. It's just back and forth. This echo resound. How worthy are you, God? We have a good, good Father. And it just goes on and on and on. And echoes around the globe. So I want to talk about becoming a friend of God. And um, there's a scripture in James, actually. James was actually the brother, the, the brother of Jesus who wrote this. And he records, among other things, about this guy, Abraham. He says this in James 2.23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness And he was called the friend of God. He was called the friend of God. I've been so inspired over the last, let's say, 10 years by, first of all, our pastor Byron in his deep devotion, but more than that, his deep devotion to God, but more importantly, his desire for intimate friendship with God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like if you spend any time around Byron, which you listen to him talk almost every Sunday morning, so hopefully you've gotten this. More than anything else, he could care less about his name and lights or some large mega church in Mooresville. He could care less about a lot of things that quite frankly most senior pastors of most churches care a great deal about. That's always kind of, early on in ministry with him, that kind of confused me about him. Like, I was the young whippersnapper guy, all like, oh, you know, wanting to have this big thing and caring about all these things. And he would just look at me in his very Byronish way, like. <laughs> he never called me down. He never said, well, you know, Matthew, that's not, you know, that's just kind of immature. Never, ever said things like that. And never, in other words, he never killed my zeal. But yet he demonstrated a consistent maturity in God that honestly, I feel like I won the lottery as a person. I feel like by calling Byron a father, it would be almost like the the big jackpot lotteries that people are hoping to win. It's just, it's beyond compare. It's so valuable. Why? Because it's the secret to life. (laughs) it's the answer to be honest with you because if you have friend I mean think about if you have friendship with the being who created the entire heavens and earth and the universe and knows every hair numbered on our heads you have everything you have joy you have contentment but most importantly you know what you have you have peace 
everybody out there is looking for this one thing. It's just peace within their soul. They just want to know that they're okay. Isn't that true? You can see it everywhere you look. Sometimes, how many people have lived as Christians and you were still looking for that peace? So I'm, 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 I know this is true because I was one of those. Probably still am to a degree. In other words, you're always looking out there for approval or you're looking for the next thing that's going to bring you into this next thing. And, you know, it's just you know, it's all these, these spiritual exercises and like hoops to jump through. You know, it's like, well, if I could just... Learn how to prophesy. I'm just making stuff. I'll, you know, then that, so you do that. Man, that's awesome. And then you jump over here. And, you know, when Shampa Rice came to our church in Chapel Hill, perhaps she said the same thing to you guys. She said, you know, in India, we're really not doing anything. You know, and then she tells these amazing testimonies. And you're thinking, yeah, you're not doing anything. Well, what did she say? She said, we've learned how to be instead of do. It's a great word. I mean, it's a one-sentence sermon that preaches for millennium. Learning how to be instead of do. This is what we're talking about in being a friend of God. How many people um, have, have a best friend or have ever had a best friend? Now, I know uh, I'm going to pick on my wife for a minute because I just you know, told her our romance story. So no, this, is, this is awesome, too. She has a best friend, and probably those who know her know who it is. It's Angel Whitlow, and she has some other best friends, too. But her and Angel, um, Judah was joking around the other day, we always know when Angel calls because it's like, girl, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> get on the phone. And then, it, 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 you know, when you have a best friend, it's kind of like your mama. Like, your mama don't call and go, hey, this is your mother. No, you already know it's mom, right? And so when your best friend calls, whether it's girl or, yo, what's up, man, or whatever it is, we know, I know when Marlon calls me. Of course, the African accent kind of gives it a dead giveaway. But anyway, I would know it even if you didn't have an African accent. You, you get the point. It's like that best friend, somebody who you've been through the fire with. Somebody who maybe was in your wedding or you were in theirs. You watched, you were there when each other's, you came home with your kids from the hospital or visiting one another. You know, you've been through these good things, the bad things. It's what makes River Life, River Life, quite frankly. We've got people who have been running together as church family for, gosh, probably 40 years, Don, or more, somewhere in there. And it's, there's no substitute. We learn, I've learned this in church planning, is there's no substitute for time. There's no substitute for time. I mean... You could go follow some church plant model off the internet. You get a different result. You could even gather big crowds and put on a big show and have a certain level of success, as what man would call it. It's no substitute for time. It's no substitute for crying with a friend, for being devastated over a loss, and also celebrating the greatest victories that life has on this earth. There's no substitute for time. In fact, I'll never forget we were leaving a, a Cageless Bird show in Ashboro when they released their first album, you know, Jonathan Melissa's crew. And God spoke to me. He said, Matthew, if you'll go to Chapel Hill and establish family, your roots will run deep and your branches will spread wide. Behind that, I heard it's not a quick growth model. It's not a glamorous thing. But it's the Bible. It's the Bible. In other words, it's the Father. God's a Father. We're kids. We're brothers and sisters. 
so good. So out of that, I'm sure most of you, this is sort of a rhetorical question, but who has ever had the sincere desire to be a friend of God? Like, man, Lord, I, I don't know, God, this is just speaking personally. I mean, I know, I know, I knew early on as a Christian what it meant to be a soldier. You know what I mean? Like, yes, sir, like fall in line, follow the orders, you know, like I'm going good Christian soldier, you know, running off to war. And it's like, you're just like, you know, you're just like, you do anything for God. I'll die for you, Jesus. Probably you're like, Peter, you actually wouldn't. But you in your zeal, you say that you would. And, you know, you just feel so exciting. God has done so much for you. And that's a blessed place to be. Don't get me wrong at all. And then I just kind of moved in this phase of like, a servant of God. You know those, right? Those are fill the church. They're, they're just precious people who just love to serve God and really be, uh, uh, put an emphasis on that. And, and behind the scenes for me, I'm not going to speak for anybody else, for me, it was almost like kind of waking up in the morning feeling a little bit um, uh, depressed <laughs> and sort of uh, kind of a little bit of dread on my life or in my soul. And so my life with God was more like, okay, how can I serve really well so that when I look, close my eyes at night and see God, he's smiling, you know, instead of like with a stern look of like, you remember that thought you had today or you remember that argument you had or you, how many know where, you know where I'm going with that? But in this season, as I'm reading more carefully, I'm seeing the gospels even through another lens. I see, wait a second. There's a better relationship with God than this. It's not just a soldier. There's aspects of that. Because all of these are part of our relationship with God. But it's not just a soldier. It's not just a servant. But it's a friend. It's a friend of God. What did Jesus say in um, John 15, verse 14? I want to point out three things out of this. And then I'm also going to jump back and forth to the story of Abraham that I alluded to from James. We're going to go, we're going to, so we're going to do John 15 and then also Genesis 18, just a few verses. Um, Jesus said this, therefore I hear this, this, that's me speaking. He says, you are my friends. Number one, if you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. What's the context of these words of Jesus? Well, first of all, they're on the... uh, at the beginning of his last moments. You know, John 14 through 17 is almost like Jesus' last will and testament. He's getting ready to go to, to the cross. He's getting ready to pay the ultimate price. And so when I read that linchpin of the Gospels, John 14 through 17, I hear almost like this person writing out the final things. If you got one thing to say on your deathbed, so to speak, what do you want to leave that would be important? 
And of all the things that he talks about, what does he talk to his 12 guys, his 12 personal friends, followers, slaves, servants, whatever? They're all of those combined. What is he talking to them about? He's talking to them about I and the Father in one. I'm going to go into another passage, right? He and me and I and him and, and boil it all down. And I meant for you guys then to be entwined in us as well, right? This is in John 17 as he's praying. So back here in John 15, he's talking about this thing of friendship. Now, if you can picture with me for a moment on the video screen of your mind, those 12 roughneck guys standing in front of him that he's talking to. These are not perfect humans, are they? By far, we know a lot of the backstories on them from Peter to Doubting Thomas to um, a guy, by the way, named Judas, who's getting ready for the ultimate betrayal. But Jesus is calling him a friend That'll preach. You know, I mean, I mean, you've got a whole gamut of different types of personalities, traits and styles, good successes spiritually and devastating disappointments. And Jesus is saying to them, listen, we've been through a lot and was it three years almost. And right now at this point, I'm going to call you a friend because here's why. And I'm just reading in between the lines, if you'll allow me that liberty. I'm getting ready to go away. And the Father wants to move through you in a way that will impact planet Earth like no other time in human history. And here's how it's going to happen. is because whatever you ask the Father in my name, He's going to do it. And I know if you're like me, when I've read that verse in the past... It's like that thing that just messes me up because it's, I, I don't know how to reinterpret that, but it doesn't always match my experience. You know what I'm saying? But I think the answer in my dilemma has to do with this thing of friendship. In other words, it's not God's perspective that's maybe askew. It's my perspective. When I'm walking over a perspective of never understanding if I really have my father's full approval on this side, How am I ever then on this side going to walk in my father's full authority? Are you following me? So number one, three things from this passage. Friendship with God develops over prolonged seasons of life. As I said at the beginning, sometimes longer seasons, hopefully for others shorter. When you just believe God. When you just believe. Believe God. I'm going to say it a third time. When you just believe God. In other words, when you take God at his word. When you can take God at his word, period. Well, how do we know this? Because it's Abraham's life. What does the Bible say? He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then James adds in the New Testament, and he was called a friend of God. Well, it's got to be more complicated than that. No, I don't think it's more complicated than that. I think it's simply believing God at his word, taking him. And that's by and whole, I'm going to speak to this group corporately. That's what you guys have done as a church. You've taken God at his word. You've believed God. You've continued to declare against impossible odds. God is a good, good father. We will never stop declaring He is goodness. Goodness and mercy will follow us every day of our lives. 
And somebody might be looking at the outside like, man, that don't look good. Hey, it doesn't matter. God's a good dad. He's a good father. I refuse to adopt my theology with my disappointments. I refuse to adopt my beliefs about God or the things I don't understand about him. Rather, I go to his word and to his nature and to my relationship that I have with him in order to understand who he is and what he is like. Well done, church. You guys have done a great job as a whole. And I believe strongly that even in this next season here that we've moved into recently as a team, okay, as I look around the room, I want to encourage you to begin to exercise out of that friendship the authority. That brings me to number two. This can be a tough one. Jesus had said, a servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I've called you friends for all the things I heard from my father I've made known to you. Number two, friendship involves God the Father making you aware of what is really on his heart. Whew. It sounds nice. I thought it did. Like, I pray, I've prayed for years. Like, Father, I just want to know what's on your heart. I just want to know what's on your Yeah, forget about what I want, Lord. What's on your heart, God? As Sarah Ruth and I were talking recently, it's kind of one of those, well, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> I mean, how badly do you really want to know what's on God's heart? It's like your best friend calling you and giving you all this information, and you're like, TMI. Like, I, I really, I mean, I love you, ma'am, but I really didn't need to know that. No, probably you don't treat your best friend that way. But maybe unspokenly, behind the scenes, that's how you feel. Like, oh, man, they just unloaded a huge one on me right now. I don't even know if I have the capacity to bear that with my brother or my sister. God the Father, he carries a lot. And, um... Hey, by the way, on a side note, besides Byron, think about Bob. Like, what was so great about Bob Jones? I would submit to you that it wasn't his prophetic mantle that was so great about him. It was his friendship with the Father. Like, when you saw that old man, you're like, oh, I just want to be, like, oh, I want to be around him. He's a friend to Daddy. Like, he knows Abba. You know, and out of that, he had a tremendous prophetic anointing, right? He was a prophet, renowned around the world. Do you know how huge it is that, you know, when Larry Randolph, I don't know if he said it here that Sunday morning, but on our ministry street, he said, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Bob called River Life his church. He'd tell people everywhere all around the world, hey, my church, River Life. Well, that's kind of humbling, isn't it? I mean, what does that even mean? Like, he came here ever so often. No, here's what I think it is. He carried... The heart of God. And this, was a, this is a word. This is a prophetic word after he's died. For you guys. For all of us. Like Abba's chosen us for some strange reason. <laughs> to be a friend of the Father. And to carry a, an authority into our generation. That's going to transform things in tremendous ways. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. We have no comprehension of what God wants to do. We just see a tiny taste of it on another home front. Another home for God's presence is what our tagline is for River Life Chapel Hill. There will be others. Remember the dream Byron, or the vision Byron had years ago. It's probably 12, 14 years ago. He saw these pockets of God's glory all over the earth. 
and, and, and they were in different churches and different regions, locations. I don't know how to define those. But what it was is that everyone knew, believer and unbeliever alike, knew, like, oh, hey, if you go to that place, you're going to experience God. Like the manifest presence of God. Now, not everybody's going to want to experience the manifest presence of God. So it doesn't mean that everybody runs there and falls down and gets saved. I mean, many will. But the point is that, the man, it goes back to my beginning scriptures, the manifest glory of God comes out of where? Not some esoteric, like, ah, you know, let's, let's get all the zeal and passion in one room and see if we can cause, like, this cloud to appear. No, 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 no. It may, now that could be a mechanism that creates it, but that's not the point. It comes from, the manifest glory of God's presence comes from intimacy. It comes from friendship with you and your dad. Presence. Bam. I've been, I've been astounded ever since day one. We visited Chapel Hill once a month for monthly meetings. It's like, oh, I, I mean, I grew up there, so I sort of knew what the climate was like spiritually. But, you know, there's all the naysayers out there like, oh, do you know how bad that is there? I mean, you know, praise God. Are you praying? You know, all this stuff. And I'm like, well, bless God. I mean, I guess we'll find out. But our testimony has been actually pretty much the opposite. Such a sweet spirit. Such a nice presence. Many of you have visited. You know what I'm talking about. Why? I don't think it's anything having to do with the details of what we're doing. It's who we are and what God has given us to carry. It goes for each and every one of us. Remember Abram. Right after, okay, so in this context, and i got to go fast. In Genesis 18, he is uh, 99 years old. His wife's really old also, you know, past the age of childbearing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, just to create a further picture, his, uh, you know, the, the son Ishmael, the illegitimate heir, is 13 at this point. And actually, um, the Old Testament version of Pentecost has happened. I read that in a commentary. Some theologians call, when, and I wouldn't call this Pentecost, but whenever he took Ishmael and all the males in the clan and circumcised them, that was the final stage of the covenant made with the one guy, Abram, now being physically designated for the entire, entire clan. Okay, so this has just happened, Right? Then, right after that, in Genesis 18, the Bible says, and I still don't, I'm still asking God for wisdom on who and what this was, but the Bible says it used this language, the Lord appeared to Abraham, okay? So, my personal conviction at this point, and you can totally disagree, it's, it, you know, it's not that it doesn't matter, but whatever, is that a pre-incarnate Jesus came to Abraham and he had two angels with him, okay? You remember the story? And so Abraham's like, oh, he's got to be important, guys. <laughs> you know? So he runs down. He's like, Sarah, quick. Like, slaughter the goat, prepare the milk, all this stuff. we got to get a meal together because important ambassadors are here from the king of kings and the lord of lords. And so they prepare this. And, 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 then, and then as they're, they've eaten, and, those, and Jesus, in my opinion, those guys are getting ready to leave. They say, um, and uh, we'll come back. And at the appointed time, your wife, Sarah, will have a son. And then from the back room, you're, <laughs> Ooh, that was a good one. And the Lord goes, did she, Sarah's laughing about the word of the Lord. 
And Sarah peeks out and like, oh, no, I wasn't laughing. And he goes, oh, yes, you were. I'm like, oh, gosh. I feel like getting under the table at that point. Well, you know, that's not the, the main story I want to um, zero in on. But it's creating a context. And then you know what happens after that if you don't go back and read through those chapters in Genesis. In the next chapter, those, um, those three beings, they turn towards a city in Abram's region, right? Or two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And in verse 17, there's an interesting phrase here, or an interesting uh, recollection that Moses wrote. It says, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So the growing intimacy of his, this friend of God with the heart of God is seen clearly when God seems to be conversing in heaven about this man on the earth. And really to get a full context, you've got to go back through the whole life story between Abram and, and God and this, this, this wonderful picture of a developing friendship between the two. But at this point, it's like God saying, okay, are we ready to take this relationship to the next level? In other words, should we let him in on the fact that we're going to call down fire and brimstone? We're going to destroy these cities because a cry has come up for justice, Right? See, friendship involving the Father heart of God sometimes can be, like I said, be careful what you ask for. Sarah was telling me the other day about how she felt recently this incredible agape, unconditional love of God in her heart for a variety of people. And she was just saying, our sense of human justice and uh, just our own ideas about who's, who's lovable and who's not, okay? Just as human beings. It's hard to escape that. When God really reveals unconditional love for all humans, it's hard to deal with sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you want to argue with God about it. And it's like, be careful what you ask for because God wants to pour out. I was thinking about Becky's message um, fairly recently about mercy. You guys remember that? It's so controversial in a sense because it's like, does God really want to pour out that much mercy on people? The Father heart of God is revealed in friendship. Now, as we move on, I'm going to finish this. I'm going to just want to mention the, a third thing from that John 15. Friendship with the Father means being sovereignly chosen and entrusted with His authority. I believe that through declaration decrees, heaven moves earth in response to your requests and, pet and petitions. In Ezekiel, he records that um, God always looked for someone who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. So God revealed to Abraham the imminent danger of two cities now God's shaping of Abraham continued. What would Abraham do with this new information given to him? In verse 22 of chapter 18, it says, Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Now, the way I visualize this is, Abraham stood there with God 
almost in the same environment as Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall walked with him in the cool of the day. It's like he's standing there like having almost like this friendship conversation. And God happens to reveal a certain plan in this context, unfortunately, of destruction. And what did Abraham dare to do? God, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? You see that? I mean, you know, and then, you know, the story goes on. How about if there's 50 righteous and God's like, okay, I'll, I'll spare if there's just 50. What about 25? And, you know, it all goes all the way down, I think, just to 10. If there's just 10 righteous people, God, can I stand in the gap and reason with you? We need to begin to proclaim restoration. Now, let me rephrase that. We need to continue to proclaim restoration over lives, over situations, over circumstances, from the greater scheme of the United States of America to the smaller region of North Carolina to the city of Mooresville and Chapel Hill, regionally, statewide, etc., on those levels, but more importantly, within families, within co-workers, within uh, fellow students and neighbors, begin to speak the authority of God's government over their lives. Yes, in prayer, but also in conversations. I'm not necessarily talking, talking about witnessing in the traditional sense, although it does contain that. I mean, to begin to speak to them, say, let me just tell you what God has in store for your life. And begin to proclaim the God thoughts over them and watch how situations change and countenances are just absolutely undone in the glory of God. Amen. River Life, would you be this bold? Remember the promise of the glory of the new covenant in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 13, where Paul's comparing the old covenant glory of Moses that was incredible to what we are supposed to possess in Christ. Let me read this. But if the ministry of death, that's Moses, written engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For what if what is passing away was glorious? What remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, and you know what that means, certainty. It's going to happen. Since we have such certainty, I love this part, we use great boldness of speech. In other words, in my paraphrase, we talk big. We are big talkers for a good reason because we got a good God. And He desires that we speak what we hear from our friendship with Him and see those things happening in the world around us. Unlike Mo, Moses, sorry, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. It was veiled. It was clouded. They were too scared. You see, what will keep me and you out of friendship with our Father is fear. 
Fear. Fear that we're not good enough. Fear that somehow it'll mess things up. Fear that we'll walk in pride. Hello? Listen, it's not, we don't have time for that. Get over it. God wants to establish his friendship through his author- and his authority through us. Let me conclude with this excerpt from uh, a guy that years ago, how many ever did that experience in God Bible study? Henry Blackaby was his name. Well, he did another one that I found recently called Created to be God's Friend. And this is just a quote from that, and I'll conclude with this, and then we'll pray. This friend of God will see farther, see clearer, and see more than others around him. This, too, will often separate him from those around him, especially because of the intensity with God this revelation creates. It is sometimes lonely being a friend of God. To walk faithfully with God will always bring a person to experience God's laying his heart over your heart. This moment had come to Abraham. This moment came to Moses when God was about to deliver his people out of Egypt's agonizing bondage. From that crucial moment until later, Moses would experience many, many times the heart of God. God's heart was laid bare to both Abraham and Moses, and it always deeply affected them. Much later, the disciples of Jesus would share his heart, especially Peter, James, and John in Gethsemane. But here, for the first time, Abraham was exposed by God's sovereign choice to what was on God's heart and God's agenda. It was awesome, and it always is. When the scripture says that we have an inheritance, this is it. Like our father Abraham, our inheritance is friendship with God. Why don't you guys stand with me? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. I want to, I want to pray for all of us. Our awesome God, the creator of the universe. How great is your holy name. And it's beyond compare, God, that you would even dare to attempt to call people like us such an intimate name like friend. But Lord, I'm going to be so bold as to ask, would you take each person in this room from the oldest person to the youngest person here in the sound of my voice, would you take us all into deep communion with your heart, Father? Holy Spirit, would you hover over us like you did in the creation of the universe? Would you hover over us right now and blow through us even like at Pentecost and create in us a capacity to understand, to comprehend, and to know by experience what friendship with our Father is like? Lord, we love you so much. We freshly every day give you our entire lives, heart, soul, mind, and strength. But God, today we're asking you to give us your heart. We love you, Father. Amen.